More than five years ago, Bethel Church decided that though they were growing fairly rapidly, there was one particular thing that burdened the elders. And that was that people were coming from all over the region to come to Crown Point and to worship there. And that's a great thing, except for the fact that they wanted to see people in their communities worshiping. And they decided to turn around the arrows and they started talking about outward arrows as people go out and worship in their respective communities. And so that began Mission Them, which was an initiative that we still talk about today. Hence, Bethel Cedar Lake. Of course, this was Community Bible Church before that and then the merger. And this campus was established because of that. And then Bethel Gary and then Bethel Hobart Portage, all because of Mission Them and this idea of outward arrows. The official statement is Bethel Church exists to multiply disciples through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. And as I came to Bethel, I evaluated that whole thing and how it happened. And uh, I came to the conclusion that we did that pretty well corporately. As a church, Bethel did find itself now throughout the region. And they got out there and we, we have these different campuses now. And praise and glory to God. There is a, more of an impact on the region today and more people coming to Bethel because of that. So that's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. One way in which I think we could improve on this would be personally personally becoming outward arrow. So we all come here together Sunday mornings and then we disperse from here and then we scatter from here and we're outward arrows in our communities wherever we live. Whether it be Cedar Lake or St. John or Lowell or Shearville or wherever you live, we become these outward arrows. And so I, I think at Bethel we haven't talked a lot about personal application of mission then. So what I want to do for the next three weeks is do that very thing. Focus on us being outward arrows in our community, from going from this place to wherever God has placed us and we live. I'm convicted that we do Sunday mornings pretty well. I mean, there's always room for improvement and things happen and fire trucks and we've had some things the last couple of months have been fun. But Sunday mornings usually go pretty well. It's what do we do with the rest of our week? How are we doing with that? How are we being those outward arrows, worshiping as the body of Christ out there the rest of the week? My heart and my conviction is that we can grow in that area where we take the hope and the love of Jesus Christ into our neighborhoods, where we are the church out there, right? Unfortunately, in the church today, there's sometimes a failure to launch. We're talking about outward arrows. Okay, now usually when we talk about failure to launch, we're talking about some young adult sitting in their parents' basement playing video games, right? They never seem to mature and get out there and succeed. And I think in our churches, sometimes we have people who are growing, little bit by little bit, but they never seem to mature to the point in which they went out and shared the gospel with others. And we want to see that trend reduced here. We want to see people taking a leap of faith and sharing the gospel of Christ. So we're going to do this. The next three weeks, this is our series, Just Cedar Lake. Just Bethel Cedar Lake is going to focus on this. It's our special series, all right? So today we're going to look at mission motivation. What is it that should motivate us to go out there and to be outward arrows? And in a nutshell, that's, it's this. We cannot be silent when God is so great. We cannot remain silent when God is so great. We're going to be in Psalm 96. So you can turn there right now if you want to get ready. Psalm 96. And then next week, we're going to talk about salt and light from Matthew chapter 5. And then week three, life and death from 2 Corinthians 2. And so we're going to explore this. We're going to talk about how do we, how do, we do this. But this morning, I want to focus on motivation because before we go out all running around trying to be outward arrows, why do we even do it in the first place? 
And there are various motivations for why we share our faith. Sometimes pastors like to put on the guilt trip, right? You guys need to get out there and you need to share the gospel. Have you shared the Christ with five people this week? And you know, God still uses that. But when we make it about our guilt, it ignores the glory of God in this. It ignores why we're really doing it in the first place, which is ultimately to glorify God. Sometimes we talk about compassion, right? There's lots of people every day who are dying and going to hell. And that's reason enough for us to reach out and share the gospel. But if we only think about that person's needs, we forget about the fact that ultimately this is to glorify God, then we downplay a little bit the glory of God. And then another motivation, which is a good one, is the obedience motivation. Like, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. I I really don't want to do it. It's awkward, but okay, God, here I go for you. And you know what? He uses that. And a lot of times we just need to be obedient. But that's a means to an end. Ultimately, it's not just to obey. It's so that God's name is glorified so he receives more glory. That really, truly is what should send us out of here as outward arrows, a thirst and a desire for God to be glorified more everywhere we go. That's what is the catalyst for outward arrows. So I was thinking about this whole arrow thing and I was thinking about bow and arrows, you know, and there's some men and some women in this church that like to shoot bow and arrows. Did you know that? Down here in Cedar Lake? Yeah. So I did this in high school and I haven't done it for a long time and I had some people from the church over and it just happened that all the men said, hey, we all have bow and arrows. Let's go get them and shoot them in Mark's yard. So this is what we did. And I hadn't shot for since high school, right? And uh, never did it a lot. And I watched them. They were all pretty good marksmen, you know? And they're like, hey, Pastor Mark, give it a try. So I'm like, okay. So I did this. I pulled it back. I won't tell you exactly what happened, but it was a pretty bad failure, my first shot, okay? Uh, my second shot, though, wasn't too bad. So I walked out on a high note and I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> I, did, did, I did it. Um, but as I thought about this, you know, as you pull a, a compound bow back, and as you, there's a lot of tension on that, isn't there? You pull that back and you get to a point where there's all this potential energy build up. And then, of course, the release of the arrow. And that arrow is, is uh, propulsed. Is that the word? It's, it flies out of there, okay? And it goes quickly because of all that, that energy. As we think about what sends us out as outward arrows, what is it that motivates us? What is the catalyst? It has to be for the glory of God. It, it can't be for, for any other reason than God deserves to be glorified all around our region, everywhere we go, at our place of work, the place we live. And that's what hopefully will motivate us the next three weeks to do this, to step out on faith and share our faith. And as we read a passage like Psalm 96, what should happen is our heart should be stirred and we should go out of here and kind of fly out of here excited saying, God, give me an opportunity this week to share my faith. Give me a chance to be able to talk about you. And so hopefully as we read this text, that's what will happen. You'll see how great our God is. So read with me Psalm 96. And uh, we'll read all the verses, 1 through 13. Psalm 96, this is what God says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. 
Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is God's word. So look at this text. My one simple point for you this morning is we cannot be silent when God is so great. When this God who we serve is so great, we can't remain Silent, And we're going to look at this. It's really an act of worship, our worship that then is directed outward. And so we're going to look at owed worship, and then we're going to look at overflowing worship. Okay, so first, owed worship. It's our duty. As you read Psalm 96, there is certainly this idea that we owe God worship. Right? Verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We owe it to him. It's due him. You remember back in high school or maybe college when you had a project that was due, like the next day, and you procrastinated. Any procrastinators in here? Back then, you know, not now because you've reformed yourselves. But, okay, well, I'm one. I was a procrastinator. Okay, there's another honest person. Not everyone is. Some people are really, they, they do things right. I would always be night before, okay, project's due tomorrow. Going to pull an all-nighter. Going to, you know, drink a bunch of caffeine and all that stuff, Right? And when you think about the worship that is due God, there is no moment in which it is not due. It's not this certain due date in which we must worship God. Every moment of every day in every nook and cranny of our universe, worship is due to him. And so we should feel some amount of pressure for seeing God glorified. We can't just be apathetic about that. We can't just say, well, No, God deserves to be worshipped. God deserves to be glorified everywhere and at every time with all of our being. God deserves all the glory from all the creation. So if you were to underline the word all in this chapter, you would come across it quite a few times. Verse 1, 3, 4, 5, 9, 11, and 12. All and everything in verse 12. Everything at all times is to worship God. So our mission really is to see God's glory spread everywhere. And there's a natural crescendo in verse 1 here. It says, sing, sing, sing. It's as if it's building, you know, and my mind's a little weird. I went back to the Phantom of the Opera when he's like, sing to me. And then he does it again and it's building. And I don't think that's what this is. But the idea is sing is repeated. It's building. You know, as you read, you're like, yes, I need to sing. I need to sing to the Lord. So it builds, and, and there's also, I believe, in the, in the symmetry here, there's a way of it, of, it, of it kind of rippling out, right? Sing. And then it, as you get to verse 2, it all of a sudden now, and, uh, you're singing to the Lord, and then you're telling of his salvation. So it's rippling, and it's starting to infiltrate not just God's people, but the nations. And verse 7 and 8, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. There's a rhythm here. So there's a sense in which God's people should be praising him and it should have a ripple effect out there. And when I first moved into our house, which is 
right by the church. One of the things I thought was super awesome was I'd walk out my door Sunday mornings and I'd hear the worship band practicing. I hear the bass. At first in my house, I thought it was somebody with a really awesome stereo because where I come from, that's more likely, right? There's these stereos just pumping their music. And uh, no, it's the church. It's our music. It's our worship. I love that. But then I started to think, well, what do the other neighbors think about Bethel when they're laying in bed and they hear the boom, 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 which I don't have a problem with it, to be honest, because it's not that loud. But what do they think about Bethel? No, that's that church. What are they doing there? What do they talk about in there? What are those people like? So I started to, you know, as I'm a neighbor, I started to think about that. It's funny when you're a pastor and you live by the church and you walk there or run your longboard or whatever, however you get there, okay? And it's kind of hard to hide your connection with the church, right? My neighbors know that I'm here. (laughs) And uh, I often wonder, like, you know, what do they think about our church? And as I talk with them, I try to build relationships. But it's not that different for you. People notice that you get ready on Sunday mornings and you go somewhere, Now, we don't dress up as much like when I was a kid. We would dress up real fancy and everyone knew where we were going. But they still figure it out. They know you're going to church. What do they think you do there? What do they think you talk about? And are there any neighbors around you who will never come into a church and will never hear Psalm 96 read? Will never hear the word of God preached or never hear about Jesus Christ? One of the interesting things about Psalm 96 is parts of it are directed to the nations. They are actually written to the people out there who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know Yahweh in this case. And there's really no direct way they're ever going to hear it unless God's people, verse 3, are obedient. And they actually tell of his salvation and declare his glory among the nations. So Israel was to take this, this word, and the glory of God and to take it to the nations. And the same thing is true for our neighbors. There are many of them who will never step foot in our church. And at best, they may hear muffled sounds leak out of the church. But it's our job to take worship to them. So we need to obey verse 3. Be praying for opportunities throughout this series for this very thing. Pray. Say, God, give me conversations. Set me up in situations in which I can talk about Jesus with my neighbors. And I prayed this thing this week. In fact, yesterday as I was finalizing this sermon, I'm sitting there going, you know, I haven't had a real substantial conversation this whole week with a neighbor. And I just want to get to know them and I want to build these relationships. And then on the way home, before I got home, I told my wife I was heading home. 45 minutes later, she sends me a text. Mark, where are you? It's not that far. (laughs) I got stopped by a neighbor, start meeting them, talking to them. Then another neighbor, pretty soon there was three neighbors getting to know people I've never talked to before, talk to them about the church, that kind of thing. God answers these prayers. He does. So I would encourage you this week, next week, the week after, pray this prayer. God, open up a door for me. Open up a conversation. Lead me to somewhere where I can be put in a place to be that outward arrow. Now, if you study your Bible, and particularly your Old Testament, you know that Israel didn't do such a hot job at this, right? Uh, they, they really struggled. And one of the reasons they struggled is because instead of love for their godless neighbors, the Amorites, the Malachites, all of these, they were filled with envy and dissatisfaction, and they actually desired the gods that their neighbors had. And so they weren't motivated to go share their God with them. They were too busy envying them. And I don't know where you are. Maybe, maybe you're in that place where you're spending a lot of your time just kind of wishing you had what your neighbors had or had the ease of life that your neighbors had. And I preached on Psalm 73 a few weeks ago, and that was the very dilemma, right? Is it worth it to be a Christian? And you have to be in the place where you believe with all your heart that it's worth it to serve Jesus Christ because Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, and then you want to tell other people 
Until you're at that place, you're kind of not wanting to really admit that. Are we so enamored with God, so captivated with who He is that we want to share Him with the lost? Or are we too busy flirting with the world, patterning our life after them that we've lost our effectiveness, that the salt has lost its season, as we'll see next week? In actuality, God is not glorified everywhere. And what I mean by that is there are pockets in our world where people rebel against the kingship of God. In fact, they're so large that I don't think we can even call them pockets, right? Vast amounts of our world is filled with people who serve themselves, who do not try to glorify God, but instead live every day for their own happiness and their own satisfaction. And it should bother us a little bit when we see God's name being profaned, God's name being mocked, you know, in our workplace or on TV or wherever we go and we see that God is not being glorified there. That should hurt us. That should cause us to be upset. During World War II, there was a group of college students who began to become very upset at what they saw in Germany around them. These were German students, and they started to see Hitler and the other leaders and the way this was going. And in fact, they witnessed um, some individuals, some Jewish people being um, led off to, uh, to a concentration camp. And they started to form a little, a little group, and it was called the White Rose Student Resistance Movement. You can read about it online. And they decided that they could not remain quiet. They had to do something about this. They had to speak. They had to actually uh, take action. In fact, they started to, to print pamphlets, which would end up getting them killed. They only lasted for two years before most of them were, were um, killed. And they, they said this in their, I think it was their fourth pamphlet. They said this, We will not be silent. We are your bad conscience. The white rose will not leave you in peace. And we cannot remain silent either. Because there's something going on that is not right. And that is that all around us, God is not being glorified. Jesus Christ is mocked. And that should bother us. Just like it absolutely should have bothered those college students what was going on in Germany, it should also bother us that people are are, are blaspheming God and living for themselves and not living for His glory. So we can't be silent either. Does it bother you enough to do something about it? To take some action? Now, I'm not talking about grabbing a megaphone and standing on the corner of 133rd and 41, although there was a guy uh, a couple of weeks ago who was doing that and was preaching some street preaching and uh, was subsequently mocked by a lot of people. And, you know, God uses all kinds of things. He even uses stuff like that, which I don't consider to be the best use of salt and light. But hey, God uses it. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Oh, there's a place for street evangelism. I'm talking about what Jesus commanded us to do, the blueprint that he gave the disciples, which was to go and make disciples, to actually get to know people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to see them grow and get baptized and start to read their Bible and start to pray. And that's what God gave us. That's the blueprint. These relationships that are developed called discipleship relationships. Are we willing to do something about it? And that's what we're going to have to ask ourselves the next few weeks here. Is God that important to us that we say it's unacceptable that he's not known more places? If you look at Psalm 96, you can kind of glance down and you can see a whole lot of verbs that usually are at the beginning of the sentences. And every verb that is applied to human beings here is in the imperative. It's in the imperative tense, which means it's a command, right? Sing, bless, tell, declare, ascribe, bring, come, worship, tremble, and say. So imperative means that it's not... It's not optional. It's a command. We're commanded to do these things. 
But we tend to get lazy, don't we? It's hard. This past week, I had a man uh, drop in church, and I say drop in because he was driving through from the East Coast to Minnesota, and he just needed some gas money. And so it was a, you know, a benevolence need, and I spent some time with them, and we blessed him in Jesus' name because that's what we do. We want to do that as a church. And it was tempting for me to think, man, this guy doesn't even live around here. Uh, you know, I'll bless him with this and then let him on his way. I'm kind of preparing a sermon here and stuff like that on outward arrows. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I need, to, I need to share the gospel with this man. I may never see him again. Perhaps that's why he's here today, right? So I take the time to share the gospel with him. And he professed to be a Christian. I tried to challenge that a little bit. He might be, but I just shared with him the very clear gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, we're, we're tempted many times to, to just ignore that, right? I don't have time for it. Like it's, it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm lazy or I'm nervous or whatever. And we have to take those opportunities. It's not optional. It's imperative for us. There are so many people who do not know Jesus Christ right now. Even in Northwest Indiana, which has a lot of churched individuals, there are many people right now today who will not go to any church and they're not worshiping our God. They're not glorifying Him. And so only a fraction of the people out there in our world are going to take the time to step into our congregation and to hear the gospel. So we're going to have to take the worship to them. Our mission in this world is to close the gap between the glory God receives and the glory He deserves. What does He deserve? Well, according to the text, He deserves worship from all people and all creation at all times. Is He getting that? Well, no, there's a gap between what God deserves and what he's actually getting. And so our goal as a church is to, is to lessen that gap, to see more people worship the Lord. John Piper said this famous quote, I would encourage you to jot it down or memorize it. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Why do we do missions? Why do we send missionaries across the world? And why do we do missions right here in our community because there are places where people are not worshiping our God, and he's that great that he deserves our worship. He deserves to be glorified. God deserves all the glory from all the creation. Now, before we run out of here gung-ho and say, let's be outward arrows, let's do this, should we first pause and consider, how am I doing with this in my own life? What's the worship gap in my own life? Like, here's what God deserves, all of my being, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's what he's getting right now. So I was a little convicted as I was studying this sermon, you know, God, what parts of my life do I need to still relinquish? What, what am I holding on to? Where have I not submitted to the reign of Jesus Christ? How am I doing it? Giving the Lord the glory due his name. Every breath, every thought, every impulse. How am I doing it that? And I thought of that old song, take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee, take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will, make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only for thee. One of the reasons I loved this psalm and picked it is because, well, A, it, 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 it tells us to be outward arrows, but also it's a psalm and we've been going through the psalms and this whole king thing we've been talking about, it fits into that very well. 
He is the king. How am I doing at giving him my all? One thing we can be sure of is that perfect worship is our future. Perfect worship is our future. One day you and I are going to worship the king perfectly with all that we have, all of our being. We won't have any thoughts that are distracted from him. We're not going to have any actions that, that dishonor him. What a wonderful day that will be. And until that day, we live in the already not yet, right? Where we are constantly seeking to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're trying to grow in our ability to be more Christ-like. And so it's a simultaneous thing. As we go out there, we also say, God, how do I become more like Jesus? We don't just go out there as outward arrows with a complete disparity between our life and our message, right? That's hypocrisy. But we also don't wait till we have it all figured out before we share with people around us. Because there are people that need to hear right now And you know, you don't have to know a whole lot. It's been described as one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. So you point people to Jesus, but at the very same time, we're trying to become more like Christ. And as the text says, worship him in holiness, verse 9. It is important to live a holy life. I look forward to the day, though, when we do worship perfectly. And, And this is what Derek Kidner said. He said, the disastrous freedom of the fall will be replaced by the only perfect freedom which is serving God. How great that day will be when our freedom will not be used for ourselves, but instead we'll be freed to worship Him perfectly. Now, one of the problems we have today, since we're not there yet, is the problem of idolatry. This is an enemy of wholehearted worship. And in our text, in the middle, there's this this little passage on idolatry. It talks about all these other gods. Verse 5, apparently all these other gods are empty gods. They are worthless gods idols. So what makes God different from every other religion, every other God in quotation marks? Why does He deserve all the praise? What's so special about Him? Well, verse 5, He created everything. He created everything. Every other God out there is created by us. We make it for ourselves. And about a week ago, one of our favorite idols in America and around the world turned 10 years old. You know what it was about a week ago? The iPhone. That's right. Turned 10. Happy birthday, iPhone, right? Is that a problem for some people? Our smartphones, you know, this little piece of glass and metal, is that, is, is that distracting at times? Is it ever uh, consuming at times? Could it ever be an idol? Well, what is it about this thing? I mean, is it the glass and, and metal? It's like, oh, so beautiful. No. Or is it what we do with it? Is it who we become and and what we find as we use it? As we realize that we are trying to find meaning in that piece of metal and piece of glass. This week, uh, we have a missions team in Selma, Alabama. Our teens, some of them are there. My my oldest daughter's there. And as they're serving, they, they had to put all their cell phones into a big pile. And I saw a picture on Instagram. It was a pile of phones and they, they didn't have them for six days. I mean, how would you do with that? That's tough, right? Six days without your technology. But when you, when you think about this, when you dismantle idolatry, whether an iPhone or whether it's money or pleasure or you fill in the blank, essentially when you dismantle idolatry, its core is self-worship. It's us wanting to glorify ourselves more than we glorify God. It's us caring what other people think about us and making sure that we tell everyone else what we're like. That's really the essential nature of idolatry. These, all these gods, these lesser gods, are all designed for us 
for our happiness. And I would argue that that's the number one priority in America today, right? Our happiness. I deserve to be happy, is what we hear said. In fact, I think it drives us more than any other thing. And it shouldn't surprise us because it's woven into the fabric of our country. If you look at the Declaration of Independence, that's kind of important. We just celebrated that, right? And it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I deserve to be happy. It's American. We've really latched onto that, haven't we? That pursuit of happiness piece. Thomas Jefferson penned these words and his, his faith was a real Frankenstein mishmash of, of uh, Epicureanism and deism and a little bit of Christianity thrown in there as well. In fact, I think he's like the poster child for American Christianity today, if you really evaluate it. But we seek happiness and fulfillment because we care about us more than any other human. We care about us many times more than we care about God. And yet if you look at Psalm 96, verses 7 and 8, what we see here is this command to ascribe to the Lord glory and honor. And what that phrase means is it means anything we would receive, any glory, any honor we would receive, we're to give it to God. We're to ascribe it to Him. It's our gift to Him because it all comes from Him in the first place. That's what ascribe means. So we are not to take that glory for ourselves. We're not to take any kind of honor for ourselves. We're to give it to God. That's the kind of worship we're talking about. He's the giver of all good things. He can remove them if He so desires. And in verse 5, there's an interesting wordplay. If you were to look at the word for worthless idols and you were to put it next to the word for gods, Elohim, it's the word Eliam, it looks very similar to that. And it seems to be anyway that there's this message that idols, worthless idols, look a little bit like gods. They seem to offer some kind of meaning or redemption or, or uh, salvation even. But in reality, they're simply worthless they don't accomplish what we hope them to accomplish. I think it's really appropriate. They're a, chief, uh, they're a cheap knockoff at best. So don't fall for Satan's tactics. There's only one creator, and he alone knows how to satisfy the longings of our heart. Because he wired it. Because he made us, and he knows what we're like. And of course, this verse, verse 5, should be applied to the buffet of religions out there as well. Right? According to this scripture, all other religions are worthless. It might seem like a harsh statement for me to make in 2017, right? To say that somebody's religion is worthless. We live in a day when we're expected to respect all religions, no matter what you believe. You know, coexist, says the bumper sticker. And it's fine for you to believe whatever you want to believe, just don't tell me what I need to believe. Don't tell me that what I'm doing is not right. But God does not seem concerned that we respect all other gods. He certainly isn't here. He says that they're worthless. And so I want to say this. We need to respect all people. As we talk to them about Christ, we need to respect every person because every person is made in the image of God. They're an image bearer. And every person deserves our respect. And we'll talk about that next week, salt and light. But we need to be bold enough. We need to be brave enough to be able to say, you know what? There's only one way to heaven. It's in Jesus Christ. There's only one God. There are not other gods. They're false gods. They're worthless gods. You know that awkward moment when you're telling somebody about Jesus, you ask them what they believe, and then they say, you know what, I think there's all kinds of ways to God. You know, this person does that, and this person does that. And then you're thinking, I think I got to tell them that that's not right. <laughs> and it's awkward. 
And probably if you're like me, there's been a few times in your life when you've just not said anything. And you've let them believe that there are multiple ways to heaven. We can't do that. We have to be brave enough, bold enough to say, you know what? There's actually only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much. See, that's important to recognize that when God is giving us this scripture, as we go to tell the nations, we have to be clear, there's only one way to heaven. The pluralism of our day is cold. It's blasé, meaning, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do or don't do. It doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe. Like, you're all going to be given the same reward anyway. We'll all get to heaven, no big deal. I think about it this way, you know, when every child gets a participation award, right? That piece of paper doesn't mean a whole lot. Everyone got one. And some people believe that one day they're going to stand before God. He's going to give them a participation of life award. You did it. You're come, come on in. And according to Scripture, all roads do not lead to heaven. And when it comes to God, there can only be one first place. And God says, I am the only God. Christ is the only way to heaven. Psalm 96 does not present a cold, blasé religion. Instead, it presents this passionate, red-hot religion where we worship God, we worship Him alone, we worship Him with all of our being. In fact, all the universe worships this God. That's the kind of faith that we have, which brings us to overflowing worship. Yes, we're o- we have owed worship. We owe God our worship. But it shouldn't just be like, well, I got to do this today, God. I have to give you the glory. I think I'll do that. We pray that at Bethel Church, we become people where it's overflowing, where it's actually our delight, not just our duty. It's our duty and it's our delight. It should be overflowing. I want you to look at verse 1 and 2. And I want you to notice that in the beginning, there's this sing to the Lord, this vertical, you know, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, Sing to the Lord, then you get to verse 2, and it's tell of his salvation. So this upward praise turns outward. Godward turns manward. In fact, it's our upward worship that fuels outward mission. Again, it's not just because people are dying and going to hell. It's because we are worshiping this God. This God is so great, we must tell it. It's coming out of us. We can't not talk about it. Before the arrows are ever outward, they're first upward. And if we try to go out there and be outward arrows without first worshiping God, then what are we doing? We need to be worshiping him. In fact, you could say it this way, outward arrows are formed through upward worship. Through our worship, this is what happens. We all of a sudden now are effective tools for God to use, for God to launch out there. By the way, somebody came up and shared with me between the services, they liked the tension idea of the bow and arrow. And when you're getting ready to share your faith, there's tension, right? It's difficult. It's, sometimes it's awkward, you know? But we go ahead and we do it because we want to see God glorified, because God is worth it. Because God is worth it for us to step out, to be made fun of, to have an awkward moment. So it's our worship to God that then spurs us outward. Verse 2 says, tell. And this word tell means share the good news, the good news of victory. It's pretty similar to a word in the New Testament that we translate gospel or good news. Uh, you know, and in fact, if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, Hebrew Old Testament that was then translated into Greek, that's the Septuagint, they did translate it this very word of gospel, this very word of good news, euangelion. And so there is gospel in the Old Testament. There is good news right here in the pages of Old of the Old Testament. Yes, it's in seminal form, but here it is. And this is one of the things that I love. I love finding God's missionary heart in the Old Testament. I love it. 
Because some people have this false idea that God was kind of a racist, you know, just Israel right now, at least back then. And then, it, and then with, with the church is when it went out. And for sure, when the church was established, it went out in all kinds of new ways. But it was never God's intention that Israel would just keep the light of, of, of Yahweh to themselves, hide it under a bushel, and let all their neighbors go to hell. That was never God's heart. And you can find passages like Psalm 96 throughout the Old Testament. In fact, God desired that his people tell what he had done to all the nations. Share it. Spread it. Have people come into the community of faith. They were to share all that God had done for Israel through the Exodus. They were supposed to tell. I mean, that's a good story, isn't it, to share with people? They get to share about how God delivered them from Egypt through all the plagues, through the Red Sea being parted. They were supposed to tell others about that. And we're supposed to tell others what God has done for us. So that includes your salvation testimony. You know, telling people, here's how God changed me. Here's what he did in my life. Just share that. It could be telling people what God has done in your life since being a Christian. How he provides for you. How he takes care of you. And do this. Try to tie it to the Lord. Don't just say, yeah, I had a real, real fortune this other day. Or I was real lucky. I'm just a lucky person. You know, as I've shared with people how God, you know, provided a house for us right next to the church, I've talked to some community people, and they say, well, where do you live? I say, I live right next to the church, you know, where I'm a pastor, and it was really a God thing. He really worked it out. Sometimes I think they're like, okay, whatever. You know, they don't really know whether that is true or not. I remember talking to one of our brothers in this congregation, and he actually said to me, before I was a Christian, I remember one time I was walking into a grocery store, and I walked past some, I guess, Christians who said, didn't God provide a good parking spot for us? It's right by the door. He said, I, I said to myself, God doesn't give parking spots. That's ridiculous. Of course, he still remembers it to this day. But here's people out there giving God glory for something like a parking space. We're to tell people about what God has done, small and big. And everywhere you can go, try to share about that. And of course, we're telling the good news of Jesus Christ, most notably, news of victory. I mean, look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This idea of telling good news, which we see in the word tell, and we see in the word gospel in the New Testament, has the idea of a military pronouncement. God is on the throne. Jesus Christ is the victor. And I want to share with you that good news. This is the good news of his salvation. When's the last time that you've shared with somebody that God saves, that Jesus saved you? And my goal isn't to motivate you by guilt. My goal is f rather for you to say, God is so great and Jesus is so glorious that those people need to hear it. They need to know about it because he is everything, because he is why we get up in the morning. He is why we do what we do and he's, he, he's, he is why we're here today. You know, good news can't really be contained very well, can it? When you're really excited about something, you share it. So I promise you, the moment that I discover a New York-style pizza place around here with doughy pizza that you can fold, the, the, the moment that I find it, I will tell everyone. I will put it on social networking, and if you know it, you better tell me, because it doesn't exist around here. Yes, Chicago knows their pizza, but different than what, what I'm used to. And so we can't not tell people about good news, right? We want them to know because we know how awesome that pizza is, or we know how awesome Jesus Christ is, and so it should motivate us. See, that's the motivator. Not just they need God or they're going to go to hell, but rather, God is good. Jesus is glorious. And I have to tell them. I have to tell them about that. So there's a sense of duty in Psalm 96, right? We owe it to God, but there's also a sense of delight. We get to sing, 
We get to sing, verse 1, verse 2. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. This is joy. Quite frankly, our worship of God should overflow all over the place. It should. We should not be able to contain it to one hour on Sunday morning at 13620 Wicker Avenue. I haven't memorized that yet. So, It should not just be right here. It should, it should be coming out all kinds of places. Some of us even struggle to fully worship God in here right? Confession time. I'm from a church growing up as a boy that does not raise their hands. You're not allowed to raise your hands. They pretty much kick you out of the church because you're labeled something. And throughout my years of spiritual maturity, I've been in churches that were increasingly healthier in that sense. (laughs) But I'm working on that (laughs) because there's something about the idea that God deserves our whole being in worship. And I'm not telling you that if you don't worship, if you don't raise your hands, you're not worshiping God. Not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everyone has to worship the same way. Nope. I'm not saying we go out and draw attention to ourselves or bark like dogs like some crazy, you know, sometimes people do when they're in these uh, worship uh, services. What I'm saying, though, is isn't God worth us giving ourselves to in worship? Isn't he worth consuming our, our being? But some of us, if we're honest, we struggle even here because we're like a little reserved, right? I don't want to be weird. I mean, I'm pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, I'm dressed cool. I'm here. Everyone knows that I'm a cool guy. Uh, we got we to let that go. We've got to say God is worthy of our worship, you know, whatever it looks like. It's just so it's focused on him. And then as we leave this place, our worship needs to continue in the car, you know, watching our road rage. You know. As we go to the restaurant, you know, that waiter or waitress doesn't do such a good job and we're still trying to worship the Lord. And our worship continues into our home and as we relax Sunday night and get ready for bed. And, and as we go throughout our week, there's this idea of, hey, I'm still worshiping. It's not just Sunday morning. I'm still doing it out there. I already said that one enemy of wholehearted worship is idolatry, but another enemy of wholehearted overflowing worship is compartmentalization. What do I mean by that? That word means that, you know, it's when we compartmentalize our faith and our spiritual life to those spiritual times, right? Maybe it's Sunday morning. Maybe it's youth group. Maybe it's family devotions if you, if you have family devotions. But then other times we tend to not really apply our faith. We don't talk much about the Lord. We don't really sing about him or to him. And by the way, this is a huge problem among teens and young adults. It's, we, we all probably know the studies that many teens walk away from their faith when they get to college, right? And, and what they do often is they take their faith like a jacket and they kind of put it in the corner of the room and they, they let it there. They live their college life. They do their thing and then they pick it back up, put it on, come back home. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Take it off, put it... Well, where do they learn that? I think it's a natural tendency of people, but I, I would encourage you, I would exhort you parents, let's show our kids a different faith. Let's show our kids a faith that leaks into other areas of our life, where any time is game to talk about the Lord. Where your kids say, oh, you always got to spiritualize it, Dad. You always got to talk about the Lord, right? And you know, when we do this kind of thing, sometimes it might be a little weird, but I'd rather be thought of as a weirdo who lets God infiltrate all of my life and some really cool collected guy who happens to squeeze God in at different places. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would get to be that way. So maybe you need to try singing out loud to the Lord somewhere out there, like as you're weeding your garden, singing at the top of your lungs, worship songs. Or maybe you're stuck in a traffic jam and you have your windows down and you just start singing praise songs. I try to think about the most awkward places you could possibly sing. Uh, Gym locker room would be pretty awkward. Try that. Uh, an elevator, definitely not acceptable. 
Uh, you could sing the doxology as the barista hands you your coffee, right? Because praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now, I mean, these are kind of silly examples, but what if our faith did start to leak out? Maybe it's actual singing. Possibly it's conversations about who our God is. Right? I mean, you could literally be having a conversation about how awesome coffee is, and you could say, God created coffee. And you could, you could turn that conversation in for the Lord. Hey, if it disturbs your compartmentalization, do it. Try it. People are going to think I'm weird. Yep. Yeah, they will. It reminds me kind of of in the movie Elf when he's in the store and he's like, I'm singing, I'm in the store and I'm singing. And the manager comes and he goes, hey, there's no singing at the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Some of us are like the manager. We're like, hey, there's no singing outside of church. We don't, we don't do that whole thing about talking about Jesus Christ unless we're in those times. We can't do that. We, we gotta, you got to let it go. We got to be able to share Christ wherever we are. Again, better for people to think I'm weird and that I'm all about Jesus than for people to, to, to really think that is one cool guy and not even know that I serve Jesus. One of the things I love about my youngest daughter, Presley, is that she likes to sing uber loud in any public bathroom she goes into. Right? So we're in the Cedar Lake Library the other day. You're supposed to be quiet in the library. Not Presley in the bathroom. She's in the bathroom. I'm outside like by the people, clerks, out where are the library people, and I hear out of the bathroom, the doors are closed, it is just echoing all this praise songs. I'm just like, do I tell her? Do I send one of the other kids in to stop her? Nah, let it go, right? And uh, what a great example of what it should do. It shouldn't just be in here. And why kids do that, but we don't do it? I don't know. It's a little more acceptable, I think. <laughs> but maybe we need to try a little bit more of that. Maybe we need to speak about Christ more often. I know we do. So let's let our praise of God in this place have ripple effects into the community. Let's, let's, let's get it out there, you know? There is no place that is not under the kingdom and the kingship of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember this. And somebody told me this one time and it stuck with me. Let's say you're on a college campus or let's say you're at your workplace and you're really nervous about talking about Jesus Christ. Now, there are appropriate times. There are times where you're wasting your, your employer's money if you... But there are appropriate times, and, and somebody once told me this. They said, you know what? God owns every square inch of this universe. Everywhere you go is his domain. You have the right and you have the authority to share Jesus wherever you go. Again, doing it appropriately, doing it respectfully, working hard, all that stuff. But I, I, th- somebody told me this as I stepped on the Lehigh campus and I became the wrestling cha- chaplain for that school. And I'm in a, go- in a pretty godless environment, a very unchurched uh, constituency as far as kids coming into that school. I began to get nervous. Like, what, what do people think? Like, what if, you know, can I really share Jesus here? And this guy said to me, Mark, everywhere you go is the Lord's. He owns every square inch. That's true. That's true. Your neighborhood, God owns it. He owns it all. And you have the right to be able to talk to people about Jesus Christ. I pray that we will do that, that we won't just let it be here, but that it will go out. That's living as outward arrows, being out there. So before we get to next week and the following, before we go out and, and, and do that, I want us to think, why am I doing it in the first place? What's the motivation What is the stored up energy that's shooting me out of here? It's the glory of God. It's God deserves to be worshiped. Jesus Christ deserves to be magnified. It's our job to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 96. We thank you for your scriptures. God, I love to see your missionary heart in the Old Testament. God, it was never your design for your people to keep your glory to themselves. Rather, we are to be a a light that goes out and just diffuses the darkness. We're to be salt 
that gets close, that absorbs into other people, that changes our world. God, may we do that as a church. May we do that as a campus here in Cedar Lake. Wherever we live, God, I pray that we would go from this place. And that, Lord, we would start to pray, God, give me opportunities. Give me a chance to share about Jesus Christ. Lord, we may not have it figured out yet. In fact, none of us have it completely figured out. We're all still learning about you. We're all still growing in holiness. But God, may we be bold enough to share that Jesus is the only way to heaven and may we do it in a loving way. God, would you use us to be outward arrows wherever we go, Lord, so that our worship goes with us and so that we are the church out there, God, so that we see people come to know Christ and we see you magnified more and more in our region. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.